Raunchy Power Hour, a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous. As always, this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual content. If you are sensitive to these things, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This month, we are reading Social Distance by Jun Yi. This is part one of Social Distance. This podcast will contain spoilers through chapter 25. If you want to read along with us, stop listening now. It's okay. We'll wait for you to come back. This book contains themes of COVID, racism, and mentions of abusive relationships. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn. I'm your host, Sydney. And I'm the other talkie woman, Lauren. Now get ready to get raunchy. Now, Sydney, I have a question for you. And I may have an answer for you, Lauren. If you had to have an attractive male specimen cross the untethered, horrific landscape that is L.A., California, to deliver you a steaming, hot pile of food, what would you pick and why? Ooh. Ooh. I think I would actually choose, honestly, probably the thing I actually picked up tonight for dinner, um, which was a tiki masala chicken from uh, this a local Indian restaurant that had some delicious, like I said, tiki masala chicken with some white rice, some naan, and uh, a cool mango lassi to wash it all down. <gasps> Wait, you're telling me that we conveniently had food delivered to us just like the characters in this novel that we read? Conveniently, Lauren. I I didn't even realize that I'd done it. Oh my gosh, our hands just uh, just attacked the phone keyboard and we said DoorDash or any other non-affiliated, non-sponsored delivery app, bring us food. Exactly, and... With that, I want to welcome back all you raunchy rascals back to Raunchy Power Hour. As you heard in our introduction, we are reading Social Distance by Jun Yi. I very much enjoyed it. What did you think? Like, just an overview, Lauren, what'd you think? I won't divulge too much, but I will say in comparison to the last few books that we have been reading on this podcast, it was a little bit of a, shall I say, palate cleanser. Oh, such a good food pun. So will be so many. <laughs> I think we'll just kind of jump into things. So Social Distance was first published on November 21st in 2022 via ebook by Cozy Reading Time, which is Juni's self-publishing website. But the edition we are reading is her paperback edition, which was also released November 21st, 2022. Jun Yi is I believe, a new author. And this is actually her first book, um, which is very, very exciting that we are reading and kind of reviewing. But I actually believe that you, Lauren, wanted to say something here. Absolutely. An important thing to note about that recent publication date with Social Distance is that the majority of this novel's underlying theme really takes place within the context of the March 2020 shutdowns due to the COVID-19 pandemic. As such, there will be a lot of discussion, both 
within the context of this novel, but also between Sydney and I on a personal note about our own experiences with the COVID-19 pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I figured this would be a wonderful opportunity sort of before we launch into the summary breakdown of this novel to not only discuss Sydney and I's personal experiences with COVID and how this may or may not have created some sort of foundation of relatability with social distance, but also how social distance as a whole diverges from the research that we have collected thus far since 2020 on the landscape of romantic and sexual relationships in America post-COVID-19 pandemic. So, Cindy, if you are comfortable uh, disclosing a little bit about how the COVID-19 lockdowns really impacted your life, I'm sure the listeners would love to hear sort of a relatable take on the college students experience with the pandemic. Yeah. So I was a sophomore in college um, when I, when COVID first happened and weirdly enough, I also around that time started my ever first romantic relationship uh, with actually my current partner. He and I have been together for about three and a half years now, but we had just started dating. We were at the six month mark when the COVID pandemic really started. I was also going through a couple other uh, really hard times with with some friendships. But when the pandemic hit, it was very isolating for me, uh, mainly because I was... When I had to move back in with my parents, uh, my parents had recently moved to a new place and I was very isolated from my support system. Uh, from my friends who I was very like, who I was very connected with in college, and then also my new partner, um, and that was really hard to kind of traverse and navigate. Especially coming in from like not only being in a new relationship, but also trying to figure out how to even have a relationship when we were forced to go long distance. It was very hard. It was very interesting. The college experience after that was just so like life changing after COVID. I mean, I've only recently, I am now 23, but I turned 21 uh, in 2020. Only recently I've started going out to bars because I was never comfortable with going and doing that. Um, And I'm still not really, I'm still trying to figure out what bar etiquette is. Aren't we all? I can kind of speak almost to the opposite of that experience. I mm-hmm. was not involved in any romantic relationships of any kind at the point of 2020. As a fun little aside, Sydney and I and Ashlyn, none, I did not really know either of them at this time either. So I had very few platonic relationships during this time as well. So on the flip side, I was very fortunate in the sense that I was already used to a very introverted, almost isolated day to day that the pandemic was the opposite in the sense that it was almost a relief from reality for me. I spent months sort of holed up in my parents' house. Both of them had the privilege of having very private, secure, COVID-safe offices. So they would leave for their nine to fives throughout the day. I would stay at home sort of with my dog, a TV, and just binge TV shows after TV shows, sort of occupying myself with the TikTok trends at the time, you know, cloud coffee. We're all scarred from it. It's fine. My gosh. It's it's brutal. I don't know why we thought that was good. Anyway. Oh, do you remember the forced family walks that you that you would have to go on because you just needed some like exercise? Oh, see, my parents tried that with me 
But yeah, I was that typical anime kid that like buried myself in blankets and hissed at any shred of sunlight that came through the sliver of my curtains. But, you know, that may be just me. (laughs) But no, I think it is interesting sort of to talk to people about their varying experiences with the COVID-19 lockdown, whether you had a romantic relationship or not, I think. In some part, in some way, shape or form, COVID is a very transformative experience for a lot of folks. And based on this research article that I came across, it is also a transformative experience for a lot of romantic relationships. So there is an article that was published in late 2020 uh, titled Romantic Relationship Conflicts Due to the COVID-19 Pandemic and Changes in Intimate and Sexual Behaviors in a Nationally Representative Sample of American Adults. And without boring you with the nerdy psych jargon that I know and love, I will summarize sort of the findings of this survey study that they administered uh, in the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. So think sort of around April, a month into those lockdowns, where they surveyed a bunch of American uh, individuals that were currently in some form of romantic or sexually transactional relationship. And the vast majority of respondents who indicated some level of coronavirus-related conflict also simultaneously reported conflicts as a result to a drastic decrease in libido and intimacy, both physically and emotionally, with their partners, which was really fascinating to see, especially having read Social Distance, which is a novel about a burgeoning friends to lovers and then eventually will they, won't they sort of relationship between folks that are literally starting in a pandemic. And in a sense, after having read this article, I feel like social distance almost provides a fantastical escapism element from the, I don't want to say reality of the pandemic, but certainly a a tumultuous time. I think for a lot of folks, a very difficult time for those that are wanting to begin romantic relationships or having to endure ones that may be struggling. And I think in a way, for me at least, that added to social distance's charm. Sydney, do you have any thoughts on that? I I honestly, you just put it so beautifully i'm trying to think of how to add to it you know oh thank you sweetie (laughs) of course i will say kind of what you were talking about i i do remember there being us having arguments like me and my partner um about covid and i think it was just because we were so stressed and so like unknowing about what the future was because no one really knew and i actually remember Um, This was during the Christmas of that year. I was scheduled to go see him and my mother had contracted COVID. She is fine now. But I was so terrified that I would not be able to see him. Like I literally bawled my eyes out. And I remember every single time he left, it broke my heart every single time. I remember the day he he had driven up to come see me for the week in um, at my home and when he left, I was devastated, like could not stop crying for probably about a week straight. Yeah, I could absolutely see how the pandemic would be a really difficult and insurmountable kind of barrier for folks that really are like interested and used to a consistent like physical intimacy. Um, again, I'm fortunate in the sense that I was uh, a hermit, <laughs> self-proclaimed during that time and did not want to look at anyone and did not want them looking at me. But, uh, you know, see my love language is physical touch. So I just want to cuddle and be cuddled. 
So when that was taken away from me, it was so hard. It was very, very difficult for me during that time. In a way, it ha- COVID has changed how I deal with things romantically now. And honestly, it, it took a lot for me to work through. But I think COVID led to some of my issues with abandonment. I've worked through those those things, but it was it was really hard because I, for a lot of the time, I thought things wouldn't work out, um, but they did, thankfully, and I'm very very happy. And but it was hard. It was really really hard. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there that can possibly relate to that experience and probably thank you for sharing that. I feel like the the traumas and the hardships of the pandemic are things that are not talked about enough. And again, to reiterate my earlier sentiments, I think that is why social distance was such an interesting read for me as someone that cannot really relate to the friends with benefits side of it, but could relate to the environment and the world around these characters. And some of the external events that influence their actions, their thoughts, their feelings and behaviors. And I think that is something that I really want to applaud Jun Yi and her novel for. And honestly, I think that might be a good segue, don't you think? Uh, And to talking about the summary. I think so. Um, I was actually about to say that I actually have some questions at the end, which I think kind of go over what you're saying a little bit. Two heads are better than one, wouldn't you say? Especially when it's ours. I'm disgusting. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm I'm watching our (laughs) producer fake fake hurl in real time. (laughs) Sorry, Ash. You're just going to see us flirt for the next hour, two hours. We were clearly deprived during the pandemic. Leave us alone. And we're Virgos. We just need to flirt. (laughs) Well, with that, I will leave it to you, Sydney, if you want to take it away. I shall. Thank you, Lauren. We open with chapter one and we meet Thea, who is our one of our love interests. And she is a writer for a restaurant review column. She's a big foodie. She really enjoys just writing and food in general. And we also learn that this story begins at the end of April of 2020. We also learn that she is from Taiwan. And I wanted to ask you, Lauren, do you think, I I know I'm not giving a lot of detail here, but do you think this was somewhat an effective opening for the female lead here? I think it was interesting to open a novel like this within the context of Thea's job. I feel like with most romance or smart novels that I have read, Mm -hmm. even fan fictions, a lot of times when you open it, it's kind of this long drawling text of like I am so and so I look like this I (laughs) am wearing these clothes very subtle matter of fact but we're literally dropped into the issues as she's having a almost moral dilemma over her job as a food journalist working under a part of my French hard ass of a boss she is sort of wrestling (laughs) with the morality of having to pay third-party delivery companies or delivery service apps to get food delivered to her during this pandemic as she's supposed to be pumping out blogs, article posts to review local restaurants. And I think as someone that never really considered the moral or ethical aspect of using third-party apps like that, it was a little bit almost like 
not to use the word quirky. I know that's like the equivalent of like a moist. It's like creep. People don't like that word, but it felt Mm -hmm. genuinely (laughs) really quirky. It's like, oh, I will put a little bit of an asterisk by that comment. I do believe that Junyi's writing style gets stronger from her introductory chapters. And so while the writing style Mm -hmm. I wasn't a super big fan of, I do think as a character and as an opener for Thea at this point, it piqued my interest. But what are your thoughts, Sydney? I can 100% agree with you. I think throughout the book, Junyi's writing just gets stronger and stronger. And I will will 100% agree with you. I really enjoyed the fact that our main female love interest has a job and we could see her passion unlike uh, Georgie from Ice Planet Barbarians who we literally knew nothing about basically and I like that she is a more uh, I'm talking about Thea here not Georgie Um, (laughs) um, I like the fact that she's becoming already being introduced as a three-dimensional character without feeling like she's just the accessory in this romantic book. I like how you said three-dimensional. I think that is a great way to summarize Mm -hmm. Thea, at least at this point in the introduction. She does feel Mm -hmm. unique. She feels... She feels like a person. She feels like someone you could actually realistically see. Yeah, I mean, like, even though I am not nearly as passionate about the ethics of food delivery, it was an interesting thing to read. And I think that in and of itself was like, oh, I care about this character. Her interests are fun and that alone could take me far. Exactly. I mean, I am very enthusiastic about food and good food at that, but (laughs) it is not my passion. Um, Okay, well, kind of going on from there, we then get to meet our, our other love interest which is gabriel or as we kind of know him throughout the book gabe so we learn in the second chapter that gabe is a first time but a very handsome delivery driver so he is delivering some food to none other than thea but she doesn't go by thea she goes by the name georgia which i'm i'm, I'm not letting that slide what What'd you call her? Georgia? Georgia. Georgia. Oh, yeah. That's how you spell Georgia. Don't slander my state. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you get away with um, Alicia for most of the mystery. <laughs> you are not getting Georgia. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And right there, listeners, is an example of my dyslexia. <laughs> but uh, Gabe gets a look at Thea through the window, and he is, it's, it's, it's lust at first sight, which I, thinking back on this, I was not a fan of because I'm not a huge fan of love at first sight kind of thing. But looking back on this, this was definitely lust at first sight, which I enjoy a lot better um and i kind of wanted to ask you lauren what did you think about with this kind of 
lust at first sight because both of the characters are into each other when they first see each other. I definitely agree to what you said, but only because of a slightly different reasoning. Important Mm -hmm. point of context, as we mentioned several times at this point, this is in the middle of a pandemic. So both Thea and Gabe are wearing masks when they like, you know, approach the door, you know, he leaves that outer doorstep. She comes out to get it right. My whole thing with this is that how do you know someone is incredibly attractive (laughs) when most of their face is obscured by an N95? You know what I mean? You can look at the body. And I think that is most of the commentary with Thea. But she like I remember Mm -hmm. like certain aspects of her like thought process her inner monologue being like, oh, I wonder what his mouth looks like. He's really attractive. He's got nice arms. That in of itself is believable. But I don't know if it's enough for someone like me just personally in my life and how I approach romance and attraction to be like, oh, I'm going to I find this person super hot. Like I kind of need the full picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, I actually. So the reason I'm also pointing out that this is lust rather than love at first sight is because they're both attracted to each other because of their physical appearances. And then as they kind of go, they start to develop feelings for each other, which I think is completely different from what we've seen in the Mister and in Ice Plane of Barbarians, where it was that Insta connection, but we didn't get any chemistry. Um, well, specifically from the Mister, from ice planet you can argue there was a little bit more there but i felt like as the book grew on as the book like went on the lust was still there but it like they were acquiring more feelings and their chemistry between them made sense true and if i could randomly tack on something else i noticed with this chapter that sort of only came to me when we were like preparing to record this I think I will say initially I was kind of like, okay, maybe I do get the idea of Gabe being attracted. I could see or attractive. Sorry. I could see how Thea slash Georgia would kind of see that he's Georgia. Georgia, My bad. (laughs) We had Georgie. Then we had Georgia. We never escape. But I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's important to know that I'm pretty sure Gabe whips up to Thea's house to deliver this food on a motorbike. It is explicitly listed as a scooter. So maybe it's like a Vespa of some kind. Maybe this is a spoiler alert. Mans never drives that scooter ever again. We never see the motorbike, which was such a burning shame for me as someone that is. I. Alyssa, we all love the bad boy trope. Don't deny it. I know it's deep buried within. It's on my face, right? I love a good bad boy trope. When Gabe pulled up with a dark t-shirt and a scooter, I was like, yo, man's is a baddie. And then he lost the scooter. Where'd it go, Gabe? Where'd it go? I think it was owned by the restaurant. Astra giving out scooters. It's like it's like spoilers if you haven't listened to Trapped in a Island with Josh Hutcherson. Are they giving out scooters like they give boats to Josh Hutcherson? That's crazy. You know, when you got an attractive man, sometimes you just got to give them a scooter. I'm changing professions. All right. Uh, uh, you need to become an attractive man and then you'll just get vehicles. That's right. I just get misogyny as a woman. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. I know it sucks. Anyway, so now we go into chapter three. So after Gabe has 
looked at Thea, I suppose. Um, Gabe actually contemplates texting uh, Georgia, aka Thea, from the delivery service app, which he admits is creepy. And he is such, he like talks about how husky her voice is. And because they had like an interaction where they were talking and all of that. And we also learn, so this is all while he's driving back to the restaurant. We also find out that Gabe has a toxic, like X, which is Christina. And she comes up quite a bit through the book um, just because he's reacting to past issues he's had in that relationship with Christina. And we also learn that he works on a set. So that was my first initial reaction was that he was an actor. But we come to find out later he's actually a carpenter. And he is really good at making things with his hands. Then we've got chapter four and Thea tells her bestie, Olivia, about Gabe. Um, But what's really interesting is that we find out that Thea really isn't into relationships. And at this point, we don't really know why. Um, I assume she was just a girl boss doing her girl boss thing. Um, But Lauren, did you what did you think about Thea's like not wanting to be in a relationship? Did did you assume it was just because she just didn't want to, or did you suspect what what we find out later? I believe the only thing that's mentioned in this chapter is Olivia poking fun at Thea's like lack of commitment. I believe it's literally called commitment phobia. Yeah. Um, And while this is not something that I can personally relate to as admittedly having a history of being like a very serial monogamous, quite like Olivia is actually, I do think Mm -hmm. it fit well within Thea's character because at this time, all we know about her is that she's a career woman, is that this is the middle of a pandemic. She lives alone. I think naturally when you were sort of in the business of writing, when you're in the business of like preferring your own space, your own time, loving a certain amount of distance between you and the outside world, you it's very realistic to see that there is a tendency to be like, eh, don't really want to share that world with somebody else. And at this point, I didn't question it. And I actually thought this could create some very interesting tension and like inner quote unquote moral conflict for Thea. And I was excited to read about it. Yeah, I was too. And I really, I assume kind of the same thing. Uh, We find out later listeners why Thea so commitment phobic as olivia likes to say or as uh this fun quote which we wrote down is this is from olivia this is from olivia to thea saying i know you i know you you only talk to dudes to get into their pants break their hearts and disappear before they can ask for a second date and i was just like you know what girl boss you know what she knows what she wants uh she just wants to have sex and Call it and be good because she's a career woman and she doesn't have time for a man. Um, but we find out that Thea has a, a sh- kind of like this wall up around her. We find out later why she has that up. But basically, we go into chapter five and Thea runs into Gabe at a park because Thea's finally decided that she's like, I need to get outside. Um, and she meets Gabe at the park and Gabe actually has a dog with him. 
Uh, the dog's name is Tails, and unfortunately, Tails is not a major character throughout the rest of this book. I was so sad. Uh, but Tails is Gabe's roommate's dog, and Gabe's roommate is Adrian. And Adrian is, I forget where he's living. He, I think he's living with his mom or something because she's immunocompromised, if I remember correctly. Um, but basically, Gabe's out on a walk with Tails, and they decide to go on a little walk together. And this is where Thea tells Gabe that Georgia is an alias. And he kind of makes a joke and he goes, oh, do you want to know what my real name is? And he says, it's Gabriel, not Gabe. But Gabe finds out that she is, in fact, uh, this. I guess you could say semi-famous food blogger or food reviewer. And Gabe is actually a big fan of hers and he very much enjoys listening to her on the radio, which she goes on like once a week and reviews restaurants and stuff like that. And she tells him that what her real name is, which is Thea. And then she actually comes up with a big, brilliant, like light bulb moment and asks her, ask him to be her delivery boy. So basically she's going to order food and then Gabe is going to come and bring it and deliver it to her, which then allows her to bypass that third party altogether and give food straight to struggling businesses uh, and restaurants during COVID. So kind of in chapter six, there's not, not much else happens uh, because Thea just kind of recounts everything to Olivia and Olivia's like, well, you think he's hot, right? And Thea's like, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and then chapter seven, we've got Gabe is just kind of researching Thea. Oh, actually, speaking of Olivia, I actually totally forgot. I wanted to ask this question, but Lauren, what do you kind of think of Olivia as a character? Like what, like what role do you think she's kind of serving in this story? Well, I like Olivia as a friend for Thea. She's very blunt very honest to the point and is unafraid to call out Thea on her flaws. And this occurs more and more as we get deeper into the story and her relationship with Gabe. However, that seems to be the only function that she kind of serves in my eyes. The most quote unquote screen time we get with Olivia is basically just Thea recounting the things that have transpired between her and Gabe. I wouldn't say a whole lot of new information is delivered in these moments with Olivia, other than again, just kind of Olivia being that angel on her shoulder, that voice of reason. And almost like the reader themselves, I would imagine in a lot of cases, like trying to spur Thea on the quote unquote right direction or more committal slash communicative and fair relationship with Gabe. And while it is appreciated, I do believe some of the extra fluff uh, hidden within the story could be taken out by either adding more substance to Olivia as a person, because I truly was interested in her life and her perspective and her background with Thea, but we didn't really get that, or removing those chapters altogether. But what are your thoughts, Sid? Honestly, I was about to say something similar. I wish, because a lot of the times I felt a little one-sided with it focusing on what was going on in Thea's life and Thea's relationship with Gabe, which in a sense makes, makes sense because we are 
that is our main and only focus. But yeah, I would have loved to hear more about like what's going on in Olivia's life. Cause we got a whole thing that just said that in this chapter, didn't Olivia reveal that she was sleeping with her, um, her roommate about to say, doesn't she say that she has a fuck buddy? Like what? I want to know what happened with that. They literally yeah. make fun of him for like being gross or something like that. Like, why don't we get to know more about him? Yeah. And I want to know about him. I want to know about what's going on in that relationship and how that kind of happened. Um, but I also, I wish we had more descriptors of her because when we got to the end of the book, she actually finally described, um, described her with pink hair and ink covered hands. And I was like, Oh, I thought she was like, just, an LA like Cali South Cali kind of gal like you nah, know Olivia um, shops at Hot Topic yeah no uh-uh. I know and I was like what <laughs> like it was a complete 180 for me personally um but I actually I think this actually brings up a really great point with um with something with the with the side characters or with our secondary characters because I was going to ask you, how do you think Junyi could have explored having secondary characters who are main characters if they're in a, in a pandemic and they can't like interact in a normal like way? I think I think that there should have been. A little more, well, of course, more screen time in general, I think is is already a start. But I would really have liked to see, especially between Gabe and Adrian, I would have really liked to see mm-hmm. more, I don't know, FaceTime calls, a Zoom call, texting. You could even do text conversations. I think there's a certain charm when authors like literally write out text back and forth. I, I love seeing that in books. I think that's something that would have been... Oh, then you would love Red, White, and Royal Blue, girl. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You would love that book. I'll add it to my list, but... Please do. <laughs> I, I think when you're living in a pandemic, right, I think most of us felt isolated from one time or another. And if you have access to those really reliable, <laughs> and in Olivia's case, really long-term friends, I feel like... Like you said, it felt almost one-sided with how little she talked with Olivia, especially when she repeatedly emphasized how how much she values her advice and values her time with her. She says that a lot, but her actions do not portray the same. And I think I would have loved to see more, I don't know, stationary bike days with Olivia. We get that one time Mm -hmm. and that was a really enjoyable feature. Oh, we got it quite a bit. There was quite other scenes later where they were still biking. Those only like Thea biking, but I think I, I think I see what you made. No, a couple uh, at the end of the book that they were on the bike together. So technically, this was part of their daily routine. Um, Olivia would like coach Thea through a circuit on the bike, mm-hmm. but we only see it a couple of times. Uh- that's what okay. I that's what I forgot. It's like a offhanded like, oh, this happens every day, but we're not going to devote a whole scene to it. Understood. Yeah. OK. Also, before we move on here and I this just came up to my head. How did you guys feel about some of the uh, kind of winked and a nod at pandemic products? Because that stationary bike, I was like, that's that's a Peloton bike. Like that's that's one of those bikes. 
Because with the knob and the turning and increasing um, all of that, like, what did you think? Because there was a couple others where it was a secondhand to like DoorDash and a couple other things um, that were kind of going on. And I was like, wait, that reminds me of when that was a trend during the pandemic. Did did any of those mentions kind of like bring you back to that time? Oh, absolutely. I mentioned at the beginning of this before we got into summary that there's a certain charm to the relatability of social distance that even though I didn't have a whirlwind romance in the time of the pandemic, I felt as if I could really envision this happening because of those sort of name drops. Mm -hmm. The global and newswide events that they sort of name drop here and there as well. It felt like even though Juni was not giving explicit dates or like times in which these events occurred or what stage Gabe and Thea were at and what month it was, I could almost kind of follow along with the real timeline of the pandemic because of that. I think one mention uh, much later we will discuss down the road is they kind of hinted to almost using the teleparty service, which is sort of a browser extension that helps you watch and stream movies yeah, on Netflix together. They like never say it by name, obviously, yeah. but they, they basically use teleparty. And that was something that came out sort of mid to late pandemic, I think, or at least got popularized. And that just really was like, oh, OK, so they're about here. Like it really gave a timeline in my head that I thought was really cool. Yeah, but I remember that a lot because when that came out, I was so excited because my partner and I could watch movies together again instead of just syncing up whatever service we were on to best we can so we could watch something. Uh, yeah, I just I I remembered that and I wanted since we were kind of like in that area, I really wanted to bring that up. Uh, but going on to chapter seven, uh, Gabe kind of researches Thea a little bit. He learns that her photo really isn't on the internet anywhere. That makes sense for later. I just made that connection. Listeners, you will see what I mean later. <laughs> um, and we find out he's also building like a little, I think, a little library, like the ones that be outside of people's houses and you could put community books in there uh, i remember when those really got popular during the pandemic then we get the scene where thea begins talking to her her boss ray about hiring gabe to be her delivery boy and uh and ray's just like yeah as long as it just comes out of your pocket uh because the paper can't really do it and she's like okay um and we also find out that she's a very good writer in the sense of that she is a published author. She does have a book out and she's actually working on her manuscript. Uh, and we kind of learn throughout the book and we see her develop this manuscript into a rough draft. And it's, it's very interesting to kind of hear about it throughout and how it kind of evolved because originally the book Thea proposed that it would be about smaller businesses and like specifically from what I noticed, I won't say like this it was the entirety of whatever book she was writing, but I noticed a trend of that it was Asian food. So like from just from a different, a lot of restaurants, um, which I think was really, really cool to kind of hear about different cultures and their foods, like as she's kind of trying to write the book. Anyway, uh, then we get Gabe picking up food for Thea for the first time. And Gabe is so down bad. It is. It's so 
throughout this entire thing, Gabe is just so thirsty. He's just like, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in this entire world. Um, and he's like turned on by everything that Thea does. And I can't really say Thea isn't the same because Gabe is beautiful. <laughs> uh, and then we get into something uh, that's very interesting and I think adds a lot of dimension to Gabe. And we find out that Gabe is Latino and he actually has some issues with his dad because his dad isn't really happy with Gabe's career choice. And his sister is really trying to, they like Gabe and his father don't speak to each other. And from what I'm understanding from the book, they haven't spoken in years. Like this is a multi-year issue and they just won't speak to each other. And his sister is trying to just get them both to swallow their pride and just talk to each other and just get whatever is over with, over with. And Gabe's sister also encourages him to set up an Instagram for his woodworking. And I think this is very interesting because we all know that guy who hates social media, like just won't post, doesn't like, like it, doesn't have it. What do you think about a guy who does not have social media, Lauren? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I have been, I've been waiting for my high horse on this topic <laughs> for so long since I came out the womb. I, I think so. All right. There is, there's a, there's a fine line listeners. I will be the judge <laughs> and jury on this no counterclaims allowed. There was a fine line between having Zero presence on social media, no accounts, no followers, no pictures, unless it's like a random 2016 picture from your bar mitzvah. Like you don't even look like that anymore. And then just being overly posting about yourself, being very liberal with the information you release to the public. Now, I, I will not be a hypocrite here. I will be the first to admit I am on the oversharing end of the spectrum. OK, I I cannot begin to describe how much rancid activity I share on the internet for like millions of strangers to see this podcast included. I've said some awful things on here that will haunt me for the rest of my life and into my grave. So I will say also, Lauren, we forgot to mention what happened with our last instance. Oh, with our last thing on social media. Do we <clears throat> do we do we want to address the elephant in the room right now? Do we have permission from our lawyers? I think we uh, Lawyer, um, who's also possibly our producer, Ashlyn. <laughs> do we have permission? We do. Okay, okay. <clears throat> okay, um, okay. Listeners, um, I'm sorry for the abrupt change in tone. Um, we have a very serious predicament among the Raunchy Power Hour podcast. And, you know, I think there's no better time. Very serious. Very serious. There's no better time to... This is a serious podcast. It's so serious to the point where I'm, I'm actually crying right now. You know, you can't see it, but just just trust me, bro. Um, I'm crying, sobbing and shitting my pants. You should get that checked out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ashlyn's holding her head in her hands. I'm so sorry. We. So as you as you may or may not know, the book prior to Social Distance that we reviewed is a 2019 release titled The Mister written by none other than best-selling smut author E.L. James, who you may better know as the author behind the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. 
and not the mother of dragons, but the mother of smut, as I like to call. Now, we we were not. Is it fair to say, Sydney, that we were not the biggest Kenny stands of the mister? Is that a nice way to put it? You can be nice about it. I'll say it. I didn't like it. I hated the book. <laughs> <laughs> she said it, not me. Don't kill me, E.L. James. But, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat from this multi-million dollar author. Good, because I can't afford that. Um, look, <laughs> either. <laughs> listen, listen, I. Oh, yeah. listeners, we're all we're all friends here, right? Parasocial relationships and all that, right? We what happens in Fight Club, what happens in Raunchy Power Hour stays in Raunchy Power Hour. None of us have ever said anything on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, follow us at RPH Podcast. Um, have never said anything about our disliking of the mister, at least not not explicitly. And no, you know, your girl, Lauren. Also, oh, please go. Mm-hmm. No, okay. I was just going to say, also, we've never said anything that, like, for example, that E.L. James is a bad person. We've never, like, come for her character, and I would never, like, come out and claim that about that, um, about her as a person. Like, we've been, we were just commenting on her bot, on her work, the mister. Yeah, and in doing so, you know, I overshare on social media, okay? And when I saw that the Mr. was getting a sequel titled The Misses, which is, you know. Called it. I called You did it. call it, and it's my worst nightmare. Um, it's, the Misses is. The Misses! The Misses! We're gonna get the Misses and the Misses! It's Lady Trevor Thick to you, fucker! It's Lady <laughs> Trevor Thick in the house. Listen, we were trying to... We... I'll take the blame. I was the one that posted it. I, <laughs> I was trying to be nice, and I was sharing a reel from E.L. James' Instagram page where she was announcing this release of The Misses. I shared it to our Instagram story. It was up for about approximately three hours. All I said was like, you know... We've read the mister. Duh, duh, duh. Will we read the missus? And then in parentheses, because I am, again, an oversharer, I said, or will Lauren rage quit the podcast before we get the chance to? Again, could have been related to anything, though. Disclaimer. Um, and within yeah. three hours, I'm checking our, our view count on our Instagram story. I was procrastinating my real job, my paying job that day. <laughs> and I was watching our Instagram story like a hot because I've got nothing better to do. Don't tell my boss. And I... <laughs> Notice that the first half of our Instagram story, which was me sharing E.L. James's reel, had disappeared. And so I send a text to Ashlyn and Sydney and I say, hey, did either of you log into the account? Did you did you delete it for whatever reason? Both of them say no. We do a little bit of um, right, right, Sherlock right. Holmes-esque investigation because we're talented like that. And we basically do, you do it. <laughs> remember what I said? I thought her account had gotten deleted because apparently I don't know how social media works. <laughs> you know, I wish that had been what happened. But what actually happened is we came to the conclusion that she not only blocked our Instagram account, or I should be more liberal when I say her social media team. That's probably more likely what happened. Her social media team blocked the Raunchy Power our Instagram account, but she also went in and checked our following list and determined who the members of said Raunchy Power Hour podcast were. She found the raunchy ladies 
themselves and then blocked our individual personal Instagram accounts. So we can now all say we got blocked. Exactly. We can all say that we got blocked by E.L. James. We got blocked by a multi-million dollar author because we talked about her book. You know who wouldn't get blocked by E.L. James? Gabe. Because he doesn't like Instagram. He doesn't like social media. And I, you know, full circle moment here. I think, I think when I meet someone that's like, yo, social media is like for those like mind numbing freaks that have nothing better to do. We all know that one guy. It gives me the ick. It's giving Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's giving Redditor. It's giving I am too insecure to post on social media. Am I reading into this? Yes. Do I have a personal vendetta against a man that bragged about his lack of use of social media? Absolutely. Yes. But I would like to see from my men take notes. <laughs> I would like to see from my men a low follower count, a relatively recent picture. I'm talking within the past year or two, doesn't even have to be super recent. And then a relative to moderate activity level where he's liking pictures. He's sharing things every once in a while. Let me know you're alive, babe. But don't don't ghost. That's weird. So you just want to make sure he's not like posting um, on, on AITA on Reddit and just making sure that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i listen i am the asshole i know i am the <laughs> yeah you don't want him just like lurking you want him to at least be like alive and not catfishing you exactly i don't want to pull up to you and ashlyn years down the road and be like oh i found this person that i'm really attracted to here and you were like oh what do they look like because that's a natural question to ask and i go well I have this one photo of them that I tracked down from their mother's Facebook from elementary school. But if you really squint and imagine them as several feet taller and more of an adult, that's maybe what they look like. That's weird. Beautiful. It is so weird. For, <laughs> for Gabe, um, in his defense, I think he more just doesn't like it in the sense of like, he's just kind of a, an old man ask. He's just like, I don't get it. And I don't use it kind of thing. Like, it's just. Also, I want to know how old Gabe and Thea are. I kind of put them in like their late 20s, early 30s. I know that Thea turns 30 during the course of the story. She's like 29 to 30. And I want to yeah. say Gabe was like, for some reason, 28 rings a bell. Then he would have been around during MySpace. He should know how to do the social media thing. <laughs> Who were his top five friends? I need to know what his top five friends are. And I need to <gasps> I wonder if Thea was a big Tumblr girly. Hmm. Like Thea's a Pinterest. Mm. Oh, definitely Pinterest. One of my she's got like a whole, whole like <laughs> yummy eats board that's publicly listed oh, under George. I wonder that. I wonder if that's how she uh, figured out how to take all those amazing food photos. So true. Also, sorry. Quick side note. I know we've been on this tangent for a little bit. How does how does Gabe not use social media? He has an aversion to it, but yet he knows. Thea's food blogs, knows her radio show. And this is like not even with the research he did. He makes offhanded comments. The paper. He's just an old man. Yes, but like he makes offhanded comments of like, oh, I know that person. She's famous. I love how you make me feel like I'm like actually sitting there eating with you. I'm like, you don't use Instagram, <laughs> my guy. Well, Instagram's so visual. 
maybe he just wants to read the paper and just pick up the paper like an old fashioned man and just read it. Oh, what his 401k looks like? I bet it's stacked. <laughs> no, remember he he works in the movie industry and he like works on sets. He doesn't have a good job, which is why his dad doesn't like his <laughs> job. I'm with Gabe's dad. I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. Kids, don't go pursue your dreams. Uh, (laughs) Pursue a 401k. Uh, Anyway, let us hop off this wild tangent that I railroaded us on. So sorry. Did you do it or did I do it? Because I thought we started about Olivia and then we kind of just went down. I just got mad. It's usually how it happens. We kind of Thelma and Louise did. We just jumped off the cliff together. That's all right. As long as we're together. Uh, of course. <laughs> as always. <laughs> uh, and so going back into it, we're on chapter 11, guys. Uh, they kind of go, I would consider this their first date, even though Thea's like, nope, not a date. Definitely not. Just friends. Um, but they go on a trunk lunch. So basically Gabe and Thea both drive out to this restaurant and they eat at a social distance and they are chatting and eating together. And we get some more information on Gabe and we find out that he does not like to eat in restaurants, which is very strange. I've, I, I will be honest. I've, not met many people who don't like to eat in restaurants, but he has a good reason because his ex, Christina, had a they kind of had a big blowout breakup and she kind of caused a scene. And he also didn't doesn't have a good experience with restaurants because the last restaurant I think he went to was with his family and he was telling his parents what he was going to do for his career. And he and his that's when he and his dad had that big fight. Uh, but what's so cute is you can tell how nervous they both are, but it's for different reasons. Gabe's genuinely like, I really like this girl and I don't know what to do about this. And Thea's nervous because she's like, I really like this guy, but I don't want a relationship with him. But I don't know what to do because I'm I haven't had sex in a while. And then we move on to chapter 12. Uh all the notes we have here is she gives him a neck massage and they have dinner together. <laughs> Chapter 13 now. <laughs> um, Adrian shows up and he decides to take the dog back. And I got so sad. I was like, no, keep the dog. I really like the dog. And then Gabe tells him kind of about Dia. And throughout this, it's definitely... The the tension, the sexual tension, it's a brewing. It's it's there. They're both they're both wanting to take their clothes off and do some hanky panky. Uh, but it's really it's really sweet how kind of Gabe is kind of talking to Adrian about Thea and not quite knowing what to do. Uh, because a couple times I think up until this point, Thea has told him that she is not. She's not looking for a relationship. Like she, she's not looking for anything serious like that. Oh, right. Because Gabe had already asked her out at the park, if I'm remembering correctly, and she turned him down. Um, so he's just not sure what to do with his feelings uh, uh, for Thea. 
But chapter 14 comes in and we get a look at Thea's relationship with her parents and her parents are living in Taiwan and she has a call with them because she's meant to have a trip uh, scheduled. And this will become very important later. Uh, But she also realizes she's kind of running out of money to pay Gabe, which I find interesting because then this point never gets brought up again. Uh, which I think would have been interesting to kind of follow through, but I mean, at the same time, we we could have just taken it out. Like, and also just because I'm saying that, I'm not trying to criticize Junyi or her work. I actually genuinely really love this book. Uh, I just thought of that and wanted to point that out. Anyway, Gabe and Thea decide to go hiking because Gabe invites Thea to go do that thing and hike. You know. <laughs> Uh, cuteness ensues. They're very sweet together. And the moment is kind of ruined, though, when a racist white dude kind of starts yelling obscenities at Thea, who is Asian. Gabe does tell him off, and the guy kind of runs off, but he does yell some obscenities back at them again. And this is our first instance. I have in Caps here. They hold hands and hug. Uh, which I this was a very fun moment in the book. Uh, specifically the hand holding and the hug, not the racism <laughs> that made me kick my my legs up in the air and like squeal. I would hope the visitors assumed. That's a soundbite. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Anyway, so I actually wanted to kind of bring up, we've kind of talked about this and how a lot of his book is grounded in real world events. And a lot of, and throughout COVID, there was a rise in hate crimes against people who are Asian or are of Asian descent. And I kind of wanted to ask you, Lauren, what you kind of thought of these more grounding moments. Um, like when there's offhanded uh, mentions of... Uh, I remember at one point there's a mention of the BLM movement and uh, this instance of racism from this guy to Thea and like rising COVID cases during the end of the summer. Like, what did you think of that? I think it felt, I don't want to say necessary because that implies that Judy like definitely should have written about them. But I think when you are tackling a novel that is set within something that is basically a global trauma at this point, as we're kind of trying to pin it down within the realm of research, it's kind of a name we're trying to pin to it. But this is a real world event that affected a lot of people and i think if you're going to to use that as a setting for a novel whether it's romance whether it's you know historical fiction whatever it is i think it's important to be true to at least some of the source material i think it would almost be doing the story itself an injustice if juni didn't choose to write about some of these more sobering honestly just downright horrific aspects of this pandemic um i also think it just makes it so much more realistic as well it's kind of a reminder that 
you know, the pandemic is what was not all fun and games. It's not just about a friends with benefits. There were real world like atrocities that occurred. There was trauma that follows us all probably still to this day, things we have to unpack. And I thought it was particularly interesting with this scene that as, you know, a white woman, obviously I cannot empathize with having to be subjected to vitriolic statements, racism, especially in the context of a virus. And I thought it was, it was, it was really sobering, but also important, I think, to read about a moment like this. And for anyone that has any morsel of interest in reading Social Distance, I think, honestly, for me, this was one of the more impactful moments in this book, because for me, as a, you know, white woman navigating the world, it's important for me to take a step back at times and remember you know, our access and levels to privilege of just existing in this world as who we are. Um, and I also thought, too, it didn't take away from the overall narrative of a smutty romance novel. So I actually I like that it was included. Um, but I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Sid. Preach. You said everything so well there, because I 100 percent agree with you. I. I like that she was referencing things that were happening within COVID and as like in a because I'm thinking about this though in the context of being an American and understanding what was happening in America. Obviously, America is like a global stage, and a lot of people know what was going on here and how much of a mess it was slash is. But I really know about those rising. I I heard about those rising hate crimes against Asian people, and of course, I heard about BLM, and I heard about everything that was going on with the rising cases and the CDC and everything. And I really loved those inclusions because it grounded the story. Like it kept grounding the story for me because there are like aspects of this where I was like, Oh, well this doesn't feel like very realistic. But then when you got those moments of it being based within the pandemic and just those reminders that it was, it is really really just really grounding and i don't think it took me away from the romance of the book so chapter 16 um we get personally my favorite scene within this book which is when gabe comes over and he finds thea trying to put together a some gardening um plots to to grow some of her own vegetables and Gabe's like I'm a carpenter let me help you and Thea's like oh yeah I guess you could if you like I would appreciate it and I'll pay you and he's like Thea I'll just do it to help you anyway they are both very interested in one another uh and get very very uh turned on by each other because gabe gabe starts this whole strip tease by accidentally he gets freaked out by like this little beetle or something he spills coffee all over himself and he does the thing where he like i'm imagining he's like taking the shirt off in slow motion (laughs) and anthea is just like jaw on the floor like just drooling um and then 
But Gabe is doing the exact same thing because Thea has something. I think it was like a jumpsuit or something. And she had like unzipped it a little bit and it showed off her sports bra. And Gabe was like, he he was wolf whistling, basically. And they're both just like, you're hot. And the, and the other's like, you're also hot. Uh, but they are flirting like so hard. And then we get into chapter 17. That chapter, by the way, chapter 16, is my favorite chapter just because of how that chemistry is just building up at that point. It is about, about a, like a bursting point. But chapter 17 is where we get them having lunch again. And they're kind of just like talking about their childhood, talking about their experiences. And then they kind of get to the conversation about maybe being more. Um, but more in the sense of being platonic fuck buddies. And again, this is one of my favorite scenes because it was the it was Thea saying, like, if I remember this qu- correctly, she was like, I can't cook. And he goes, I can cook. Thea, I, I, <laughs> Ashlyn's like freaking out. <laughs> um, it was, oh, well, I'm trying to find the exact words. Ashlyn is looking it up for me. So I can see her scrolling on her Kindle very quickly. She found it, folks. Okay. Okay. Um, She says, uh, Thea held up her hand with a finger pointing up. I don't cook. Gabe shrugged. That's okay. I do. A second finger. I don't clean. I don't expect you to. A third finger. I write all the time. Like all the time. And it always comes first. I like your writing. A fourth finger. I live alone. Me too. Uh, Her fifth finger. I hog the bed. I have a big bed. highlighted i'm foaming at the mouth (laughs) lauren i want to know what you think about like that line like i i literally like squealed with joy (laughs) so i will in a sense partly put a pin in this specific conversation because listeners this exact verbiage like the the back and forth of like oh i'm not good at this i can supplement i'm not good at this i can supplement is repeated once more towards the end of this novel my feelings Mm -hmm. about these two scenes are very different the first time i read it which is this part i loved it i ate it up i'm a virgo i want people to support me i want to take a more domineering role i'm the one that's shit at cleaning i'm the one that wants to write and do my research all the time i don't want to cohabit. Like this was almost a very relatable scene for me. This was the first chapter in which I liked Thea a lot. Not to say that I didn't like her before. I felt related mm-hmm. to her as a person. I was like, oh, wait, I also don't want to cohabit. I don't like sharing beds. I don't want to, you know, I feel very like used to me and my routines. This is when I connected to her. Like this is when I connected to her as a character. Agreed. And I was very, I was kicking my little tootsies, you know, I was, I was letting the little piggies get some fresh hang time. I very <laughs> practicing to get away from those sharks like Josh Hutcherson. I was kicking my little footsies. I, <laughs> I, I, to have like a, a man be so eager to make up for your lack or to prove you are a good oh. match, that. <laughs> It, it did it for me in my little 1800s, like celibacy kind of heart, you know, that's saying something.
It was so good. I was I was kicking my little kicking my footsies in the air because I like it was so good. It was so so good. Are we feed people on the raunchy power so, hour? <laughs> we are not. <laughs> I'm gonna put. I am gonna put a stop to that right now. <laughs> oh, just just be, uh, um. <clears throat> produ- producer, cut that, Lauren. <clears throat> what were you saying? <laughs> I do not want to score on Wiki Feet. Okay, I'll I'll delete that page. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> Josh Hutcherson better not be on there. <laughs> it's got a seven point eight. Anyway, oh my god. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> 18, they test negative and they are going to hook up. Uh, and 19, we finally get the first kiss. Ah! We also get them having sex for the first time. And holy, holy cow. I, I will not lie. Those that scene did it for me. That was it was so well written. Like their chemistry. And I think what made it make sense was the fact that they had chemistry beforehand and that they were just itching to just take each other's clothes off. And it was just. It was just so good. And I did like I think they switched POVs. And I liked that. I liked how that was treated better than what we saw in the Mister. Oh, it was a good sex scene. I was, I was, I was, I was hungry for more after that. Uh, but to my, um, to my sadness, we actually don't get many more sex scenes after this, which was so confusing. I wanted more. I'm like, Jun Yi, give me more. But at the same time, don't give me more. <laughs> I'll explain more later. Anyway, so. Thea leaves and goes home and she wakes up the next morning. We find out Thea really doesn't like, she has a rule not to spend the night. But they plan to meet up again tomorrow. And this is kind of where uh, her publisher mentions writing some restaurant reviews on black owned restaurants because of the George Floyd protest, which is we we've kind of talked about that quite a bit. Uh, and even though it was just in passing, I really appreciated the fact that the author wasn't too, wasn't shying away from bringing up those protests. Um, also, and also like we kind of said before talking about uh, the racism against Asian people during this time. So we continue on. Uh, we get to chapter 21 and we find out that Gabe hates mushrooms. <laughs> Again, I only ha- we only have like some short notes about this uh, and it just says he eats mushroom and he likes them. And I just have a note that says uh, thoughts on mushrooms. Um. Quick interjection: Josh Hutcherson does not have a Wikifeed <laughs> account. I went ahead and and fact check. <laughs> I would give him a seven point eight though. Have you seen them in my dreams? Based upon what? 
7.8 based upon what, Lauren? His tactical gripper strength. <laughs> the later these recording sessions get, the more ferociously unhinged the things that come out of my mouth are. Um, I love on the it. note of mushrooms. They should burn in a fiery pit of hell. This is listen. I I I agree. <laughs> I related to Thea mostly for the majority of the of the story. This was the time I related to Gabe the most. I was like, "Fuck them shrooms, get them out of here!" And you know what? I do it. I would I would say that he's weak. You want to know why? Because. There's no one on this planet that's hot enough for me to get to, for for me to change my opinion about that godforsaken fungi. Okay. Ugh. I I will agree with you on that. <laughs> the dick isn't that good for me to switch to shrooms. I mean, they, like, like, I guess I guess the better question here is how what food item on your like general disliking of food list. Would you be oh, willing to try slash change your opinion of if the person was hot enough? Well, coming from a picky eater, I have actually changed my food opinions because of someone who is very hot. <laughs> and that is my current partner. Uh, so I've been a picky eater my entire life. I am. I I'm very big on textures. I'm very big on strong smells. I just, it, it's very, I, for a long time, uh, for majority of my life, I did not eat Brussels sprouts or broccoli. And I know a lot of people out there have opinions about Brussels sprouts and broccoli, but I changed my mind about Brussels and broccoli. And now they are in every week essential for me to purchase and oven roast. Um, and I will say the main reason I actually switched was because my partner had ordered this. It, oh, it's so good. You guys know the place. Um, but it is this tangy and sweet Chinese street Brussels. And they have, oh my gosh, I, like I am, I'm drooling at the thought of them. They're so good. But I changed my opinion because someone was so hot. <laughs> Chapter 22, we got a time skip. And they've been sleeping together for a couple weeks. And I want more of those steamy scenes, Junie. Give them to me. Like, I felt, <laughs> I was just like, <gasps> I feel like I'm, I'm not given these, uh, these scenes. Um, I understand. Like, I wish we had more of those steamy scenes. But Lauren, kind of what, what did you feel about that, that sudden kind of time skip? I don't see it in a bad way, but it was a bit jarring. It wasn't the lack of steamy scenes. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that we had the first one. And then they basically insinuate that almost a month had gone by of this arrangement happening like a couple times a week. And that mm -hmm. was almost like startling to me. Like I actually had like a physical reaction. I remember I was sitting with this book. I was on my bedroom floor, like just sitting there. And I remember like actually like almost like reeling back and like I like had to double take almost. And I was like, oh, it's been a month. OK, cool. Lit. Um, and it was interesting to me that their dynamic hadn't changed in that month, which I think further speaks to Thea's character mm -hmm. and the strictness she has with maintaining those boundaries, with only keeping this as like a very casual friends with benefits type thing. Because if I were in their shoes, I would be way less 
Like I would be so much more influenced by that arrangement. If you're basically like going at it like multiple times a week, I I don't know to not stay over at someone's house after that is, is, I I mean, I applaud her for that kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. resilience, I guess. Yeah, I think. Okay. So I want to, I kind of want to comment that I think this also kind of shows a level of respect from Gabe. Um, in the sense of that he's trying, he, he is developing feelings, but he's trying to be like mature about it and respect what Thea is kind of setting out. There are a couple times where he does try to over, like he does overstep a little bit, but I think at times Thea is also kind of grayed out the area. So as the book goes on, those boundaries kind of are played with and it's not quite sure, but I, 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 and I wanted to bring this up because I saw one comment on Goodreads about how they didn't like how Gabe kept getting like super emotional, like, and was kept wanting to like try and get in a relationship with Thea. And I kept thinking, and I was, I've been thinking about that comment a lot. Um, and I just wanted to say that, I don't think that comment was necessarily fair because I think both of them are kind of playing with each other's feelings because they're obviously both developing feelings for each other and they're both have like mostly respectful with Thea's boundaries and she and the ones she has set. And he's re and he he really is trying to just be just friends. Absolutely. With benefits. I think. There's definitely a larger conversation to have about that. Um, and we won't get too into it for simply for time constraint purposes, but that's it kind of very is reminiscent of the concept of emotional cheating for me. Because the whole concept of emotional mm. cheating is developing feelings for someone else when you're currently in a committed relationship with a partner of some kind. And while I definitely mm-hmm. understand the validity of like oh, I'm aware of these feelings I have for this outside influence and I'm harboring onto them without telling my partner or making any moves to rectify it or resolve this current relationship that I'm in for a significant period of time. That is absolutely valid. What grinds my gears is in cases where maybe things are on the rocks with your current relationship, you start to sort of like indirectly as almost a way to like fill that gap, start pining for other people. And as soon as you recognize that, then you break off your current relationship. I don't think that's fair to call Mm -hmm. an instance like that cheating. And that almost is reminiscent of this, like people being upset with Gabe's feelings towards Thea. There's only so much control you can do, but he's not acting on it. He is maintaining his composure. He's respecting her wishes as a purely friends with benefits boundary. And I think that is completely fair, especially when something as intimate as sex is involved on a regular and recurrent basis. Oh, 100%. And honestly, the instances where he quote unquote, like steps over the line or kind of goes across that boundary. I think that boundary had already been broken, but also. I don't think Thea, I think Thea at those points, I don't want to say she wasn't instructing like her, like not enforcing her own boundary, but like, I'm trying to think of the right word, you know? I don't, in those instances in which Gabe like tried to cross the boundary or like tried to do something more, he wasn't going at it in the sense of like, I'm going to do this to try to trick her into wanting to be in a relationship with me. That wasn't Gabe's thought process. Like it was just, I thought this would be nice. 
And then Thea is the one who kind of has a big, has a large reaction. And then they kind of have to have a conversation of why she has that reaction, which is completely valid. Uh, But yeah, so now, um, so the kind of reason we brought that up, yeah, was the, was that Gabe wanted to kind of uh, give Thea a spare key to his house. He's like thinking about it. And we just kind of have a cute little domestic scene of them being cute and being together. Uh, and then we have another time skip. It is now August. And he has to tell Thea that Gabe tells Thea that he's going to be gone for a few weeks because he got called back on his contract and he's got to go build sets again. And they have a little moment of being like, well, what are we going to do? Because Thea doesn't know if he's going to want to continue this after, um, after he comes back. And she's kind of worried about this quote unquote, like bubble popping. And Gabe is very kind to her and let, and reassures her and basically lets her know that, yeah, I, I still want to do this with you once I'm back. And so they decide to keep being friends with friends with benefits. And then we get seen, uh, we get chapter four and Gabe is out of town and Thea realizes that she misses feelings. Oh no, I can't start having feelings. But she kind of begins because she realizes that she's, she has started to make a place for him within her life, which is an interesting shift because now you're starting to see that they are big. They're, they're basically forming a relationship and beginning to form that, but without that title. And it's really interesting to see how they're creating space within their own lives for each other, but while remaining still independent individuals. Anyway, then we get to chapter 25 and where we will leave everyone with a cliffhanger because Gabe has got COVID and he now has to quarantine for two weeks. And more importantly, when Gabe calls Thea, she admits that she misses him, which shows that Thea has emotions. <laughs> anyway, so Lord, kind of, what did you think of like the first chapters? At this point, I was a really big fan of the book. Uh, truth be told, listeners, I am a notorious procrastinator. I'm also in a little bit of a reading slump right now. And so I did procrastinate reading this book for a while. Sorry, producer Ashland. But, but it is rectified when I say that I read it in three days, not because I was in a rush, but because I wanted to. And that is by and large because of the first half of the book. I was really into it at this point. I thought the sex scenes were great. The kissing scenes were great. I thought the chemistry between Gabe and Thea, phenomenal. I felt for them both as characters. They felt three-dimensional, to quote you earlier, Sydney. And I, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this book, like through and through. Very minimal criticisms of just overall having a good time. It's an easy read. And that is not a complaint. That is what I needed to dig me out of a reading slump and I have Junine to thank for that. So I I feel good. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. I, the, this first half of the book really got me. Like I was, I was excited to pick up this book every time to read it. And it was a little bit of a slow start, but once, once that reading, like that style of Juni and really like kicked off, Oh my gosh, I was hooked. It was so good. And 
honestly, like I, I 100% agree with you. The just the the romance scenes of Gabe and Thea just flirting with each other and just being so obviously into each other, and then the actual intimacy scene was oh so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I just ah oh, this first half was so good. I I am thoroughly impressed by Junie and her debut book. Well, I believe that brings us to the Q&A portion to round out this episode. Producer Ashlyn, do you have some inquiries that we can answer? Question. I always have inquiries. I possibly have an answer. I keep getting asked questions. Oh, <laughs> uh, where should we start? Do you think that the chemistry in this book worked better? And why do you think that um, than other books that you have read personally in the past or the ones that we have read on the show? Lauren, do you want to go first? Sure. I think. Yes. I say that in reference to the books that we have read already, Ice Planet Barbarians and The Mister. Well, I think... Don't bring it I up, know. Lord. Don't bring up that title. <laughs> I know. I'm so sad. I know. I got plucked. Listen, I'm going to ride the coattails of that forever. That's my peak in life. It was the... About to say, it, it was a highlight moment for me. So. It was, but I digress. I think when you, at least in my memory serves, look at Ice Planet Barbarians and the Mister as a whole, you could argue that the attraction between the romantic love interest occurred very similarly to social distance. It seems to be based on physical attractiveness, sort of in a more tumultuous time for one or both characters. However, I think the marker of difference with social distance is that they feel like real attainable people set in a real world setting, um, which is easy to say, obviously, in comparison to a hunky blue alien. That's obviously a fictitious world. But in the Mister in particular, a lot of our gripes about the novel, I remember during our recording session was we have this rich boy millionaire that falls for a cleaning lady, essentially. And while that's not impossible, there are so many more barriers in the way of that relationship that it felt unbelievable to just be like, oh, it's lust at first sight versus this. They're kind of in the same like, you know, area of life. There's no like weird social standing between them or scenario that's butting in. That's like preventing them from developing these feelings. And I think social distance also calls it for what it is. Like Junyi does not shy away from the fact that it is lust at first sight versus I think the Mr. and Ice Planet Barbarians were trying to frame it a little differently is more like faded mates <laughs> or lovers yeah. kind of thing. Love at first sight. But this one's honest. It's real. And you know what? If that is the arrangement, I appreciate the honesty. So, yes, to answer your question. Yeah, I would 100 percent agree. And I think in talking with examples from what we've read on this show. Because if I go into other examples that we haven't read, um, I'll talk about it for days. But it was very much, I would agree, it, this one kind of started in a similar vein and I thought it was going to go in a similar vein and then it didn't. So like, I think what also, you know what I think actually made this really good for me personally was the fact that our two main love interests did have conflicts with each other because if we're thinking about the mister and we're thinking about, uh, or we're thinking about Ice Planet Barbarians, 
they're both like there's no other problems except for outside issues going on like for example <laughs> our girl and i's planet repair needed to get a parasite in her so that she could survive on the planet or the fact that alicia was a sex trafficked victim from albania and that she was running away from them and then also her ex-fiance and yeah it felt like it was a bunch of outside forces re- like acting to the relationship and how this couple was like very very strong but in social distance while there is that outside force of the global pandemic that occurred in 2020 what the book focuses on is the relationship between Thea and Gabe and how it does have the ups and downs in the sense that they have conflicts and they have issues and things that they need to communicate about. And I think that is where that chemistry is coming from, I think, from all of us, because we're actually like, oh, these are two real people who are actually interacting in a relationship and are growing to learn more about each other. Okay. Would you consider this um, a slow burn medium? How do you feel about the chemistry and how it builds over the course of the first half of the book? I think it's medium. I think I might slightly disagree. (laughs) I think it feels a little more slow burning to me. At least the first half does. If we look at page count purely, their first like like kissing and hookup scene doesn't occur until like almost 150 pages in, which is a lot. There's a lot of will they, won't they? And then we get a time skip of them having been together for months. And we don't really, well, not months, but a month. And we don't really see that. So to me, it still feels like we're sort of in an uphill climb to something and something again that doesn't really happen, at least milestone wise. Until another like 50 something, 100 something pages later. So to me, at least purely in page count and pacing, it feels a little more slow burn. But I understand for sure the perspective of feeling medium pace. I think once we get into it, it does take off a little bit faster. Yeah, because I'm thinking it from like a timeline standpoint, because <laughs> I mean, I I know examples of slow burns where you're 500 pages in and they have just and the love interests have just had eye contact with each other for the first time (laughs) me and every fan fiction i have ever read (laughs) so i was like kind of comparing it to that but like i i would say this i would agree like this has elements of a good slow burn like i think that is why i'm eating this up so much because i do also love a very good slow burn How do you both feel about the almost reverse dynamics between the two love interests? Both of the books that we've read prior to this have had a more dominant, commanding man and a more passive female lead. How do you feel about the and Gabe in relation to that? I like the fact that we have an active female lead, finally. It is a woman who actually has needs and wants and has dreams and has aspirations. I love the fact that we're finally getting that in a romance book character. And I love that she is 
she's she tells him from the beginning what is important to her and what will always come before anything, which is writing. And we see that consistently throughout the book is that her writing and her career in this does come first and she prioritizes that. And I think that I, I really enjoy that. I also love the whole idea of a man just being like absolutely obsessed with me. (laughs) Uh, I love the idea of a man just being like, I will drop everything to be with you. And I, I just want you to like do well in your career. And I, I like that he's not, he's not domineering. He's not trying to dominate her life and make her passive. Fully, especially within the context of the first half of the novel. I think Thea is a mm-hmm. breath. Wow. A breath, a fresh breath of air. My God. <laughs> a fresh breath of air. And that, yes, she has complexity. She has a personality for starters shocker i know and why no a female lead with personality and a man who has feelings what is this no and may i be so bold as to say we know a little bit from Junyi's background that this is her debut novel i believe she worked in the stem field prior to this, this is public knowledge but i think her being a career woman and sort of like then delving into more like romance writing later, almost like bleeds through and shows in Thea. It makes Thea realistic. And it also kind of reflects more, I think, of our generation's wants and needs as we sort of move towards more of that like kind of independence, like women having more social and employment rights. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of progress left to go, but I think it is a breath fresh of air reading that in a novel like this, because it is a novel that really caters to the target demographic versus I think things for Ice Planet Barbarians and the Mister could potentially be a little more effective for older audiences that maybe aren't as interested in those kind of tropes. Maybe they like potentially want to have more of the domineering man, which is totally fine and valid. But for me as someone that is kind of in the beginning stages of her career, this really appeals to me. And I loved Thea for that. I 100% agree. I'm in the exact same boat because my career and where I'm going. I'm also new in, in my career. It's very important to me. And I and I need a partner who is willing to support not only their own dreams, but mine as well. And I think that's why I really enjoy um, Thea and Gabe and their dynamic that they have going on. Okay. Sorry. I was looking at something for my next question and I am borderline traumatized now. Um, Uh-oh. With so many, with so many different smut books about COVID, like kissing the coronavirus oh and recording the coronavirus on the market, did you think that you would ever be interested in a COVID-based romance? <laughs> well, considering I've never read Kissing the Coronavirus, I have no idea. I I have heard of it. I don't know what it's about. Are you? I I don't want to know if you're actually if. They're actually kissing the coronavirus. I'll I'll tell you what it's about. It's on my want to read list. You kidding me? Oh, no. Oh, Lauren. (laughs) It has a 2.34 rating on Goodreads. Oh, we have to read it. It's an injustice. (laughs) It's a crime because why wouldn't you want to kiss the personified version of the coronavirus? Courting the coronavirus has a 1.97 on Goodreads. Gosh. Oh, so... 
I mean, I never personally considered. Uh oh. <laughs> it was her fault the virus got sent back to the 19th century in the first place. What? Now the only way to get close enough to destroy it again is to court it. The whole trope of like people being like, if you could travel back in time, would you like kill like Hitler in his crib? Except you're you're banging the coronavirus in its infancy stages the in the lab. Version. Oh gosh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <sighs> um so no, I never so from those titles, no, I never expected to read a coronavirus-based romance. But I can see if we're doing like in the instance of what social distance is doing. I never consider it, but I'm glad I did read it because it's a very relatable story with an experience that we all went through and it's kind of grounded in that. And I think it's a unique way to explore romance. So if we're talking about specifically books based in COVID times, I would say Yes, do social distance like books. No, maybe I never consider doing kissing coronavirus. I want to read it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> maybe we should do it next March as a uh, three year anniversary of COVID. Four year, right? For, oh my gosh, it's been four years already. Well, no, three years now. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I graduated from high school. During COVID. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You know what? We're rocking. I was forced out of my dorm and I was basically homeless for a month. (laughs) I was a degenerate on TikTok. (laughs) You got TikTok famous. (laughs) Everyone find Lauren on TikTok. No. (laughs) (laughs) I will never live it down. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Social Distance, where we will discuss our final thoughts on the book. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy. Stay raunchy.